1: and welcome to episode 57 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by Clio, online practice management for attorneys at goclio.com, and firm manager from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions. Try it out free at myfirmmanager.com slash i I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In the last podcast, we looked at digital etiquette, in the age of social media. In this episode, we take a look at a label we sometimes hear apply to ourselves and some of the things we wish we would have known when we got
2: started in the field of legal technology. Tom, do you want to tell them what we'll be talking about in this episode? Absolutely, Dennis. In this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we're going to discuss the career of legal technology and how people can get started in that field. In our second segment, we'll answer a listener question. And as usual, we will end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can begin to use the second this podcast is over. But on to our first segment, uh, the legal technologist. We thought we'd do some navel-gazing in this episode and and talk about the job, I guess sometimes part-time, sometimes full-time, that you and I have been doing at some point over the last few years. But the, the field of legal technology is, is much older than that, and legal technologists have been around for much longer. But Dennis, when did you first start noticing people referring to legal technologists?
1: You know, I would have thought it was about Five years or so ago, that you, I heard the term, but I did the quick Google search and I see that Bob Ambraki was using the term back in 2003. So that that seems like it could be could be right, and and I think that it does go back much further. There there've always been a group of of usually lawyers, former lawyers, um and then I think sometimes later people who were more in the field of technology who became associated with law, who did. Legal technology, so legal technology consulting, um, helped with the technology and the practice of law, sometimes branched into other areas of practice management, sometimes had specialized skills in, say, network, computer networks, software, certain software products, those sorts of things. And then... It became almost a a field of its own over the years, and I say especially in the last five years it's it seemed to be the case of that, but you have people who've gone back a long time. I always associate the term legal technologist with ross codner, and i don 't know whether he was really the first one to use it, but I think he helped kind of carve out that category and and you know we have a ton of friends who are all have been around this field for a while. And I think that there was always a struggle um, and, and why legal technologists became the word that's, that's popular these days um, because some people really did consulting work Some people did some specialized uh, technology work. Other people were just sort of writers, speakers on on the topics. And so you couldn't really, if you didn't do consulting, you know, legal technology consultant didn't really seem like it fit you. Uh, Legal technology expert had that sense of expert witness that I've Mm -hmm. always felt uncomfortable with. You know, legal tech guru, thought leader, those things never really felt comfortable. I've been more comfortable in my bio these days just calling myself a legal technology author because I think that's uh, really describes better what I do since I don't do consulting and it's this sort of open-ended thing that that reflects you know my interest in the area and and the field but I, I think the other thing difficult is difficult a lot of times people were doing it as a, as uh, not their full-time work but they were all mainly practicing lawyers and I think Tom I I've was always a little bit uncomfortable with being called a legal technologist, and I think you were too especially when you're a full time practicing lawyer
2: well I think that's true and i uh, you know my my route to this career really started while I was a lawyer and and I became i guess sort of disenchanted about whether I wanted to practice law as a full time endeavor and i I had always liked technology i had Always actually liked it a lot more than practicing law. And what I noticed in the firm was, was that I found myself helping out the lawyers because I think with a lot of firms and, and some, both small and large firms alike, our lawyers didn't really communicate well. With the folks in IT and vice versa, they just didn't communicate well with each other, and I was able to bridge that gap. Um, but and at the same time, I was getting tired of the idea of billable hours and of rainmaking, and and so I went to the firm and asked if I could split the responsibility. And at first, they didn't like that idea, and I think it's because this was really literally back in. 2002 2003 about the time that bob was starting to talk about this um i think that uh that that they 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 didn't really get it they didn't really understand it so they said no ultimately and then uh, and then a few years later maybe a year or two later they came back and said let's go ahead and try that and and as a legal technologist, you know my title at the firm was uh, legal a litigation support coordinator, is what it was, because I was doing more than litigation support. I trained the lawyers on new technology. Um, I was in charge of updating our firm website. I, in, in line with trials, I did all the litigation support, putting documents and deposition transcripts together for trial and going to trial with the lawyers and doing the presentations. And so I, I really was sort of a jack of all trades but I, I would expect that that's a little bit unusual once you get to bigger firms you have a little bit more of a de- defining characteristics of what makes a legal technologist. Dennis, how did you get started?
1: Well I you know I have people tell me I was always doing computers even back in law school, and so there was always a way I was looking to use computers and technology in my practice from the very beginning. I mean, I always say that I did my first document assembly applications more than twenty years ago, right. so it was always part of my practice and I guess when I sort of felt that I was doing something different you know that was that I might call legal technology, it was probably when I first started writing about it. Uh, with my lawyers weekly USA column on technology and you know, some period of time there you, as you start to speak about it, as you start to meet other sort of, you know, you can use the term thought leaders, but there's definitely a group of people who are writing and talking and thinking of, uh, a lot about the use of technology in the practice, where you start to say, "Well, this is something a little bit separate." So, as in a lot of things, my use of the internet and all of it, I really trace it back to the the writing is being the foundation, which is why I think I'm a lot more comfortable saying I'm a legal technology author, say, than a legal technology speaker or, or or some other category. But I think it's uh, so my and my history, I think, is if you go back and you look at a lot of people who are legal technologists, I think your history, my history are, are fairly similar that people have started as practicing lawyers, uh, are, you know, some, some way associated with the practice or been in IT directors at firms and just really, uh, found out that they had to learn on their own, found the group of people out th- who were out there just, you know, working on the same issues and got together with those people and said, hey, wait, I have some expertise. I have some things I can share. And so I think that, um, in the early years, especially the, the sort of legal technology field was one where there's a lot of sharing and just people sort of finding the other people out there who are like them. Um, I don't know whether you still see people who are, to me, new in legal technology who start out as in a similar way. But it almost seems now there are uh, maybe some some tracks that you could develop or some approaches that you could take maybe from the beginning to uh, to go into legal technology. Or do you think that's starting to happen, Tom? Or are we still in sort of you know you're you're sort of a self-made legal technologist?
2: I think that's a good question. I, I don't see, and, and granted, I don't pay attention to what all law schools are doing for their curriculum, but I don't see a lot of law schools talking about it. And I wouldn't expect that they, that they would so much, mostly because they're not talking about law practice management in general. So I'm not sure why they would focus on technology, uh, in the first place. But, you know, you do see, um, a number of a number of uh, organizations and associations attempting to to have certifications in legal technology and that sort of thing but i i do find that that the legal technologist comes in a couple of different flavors, and I think that there's those like you and me, the lawyers who happen that they liked the technology of law practice better than they liked practicing law, um, uh, although you're, you're not quite in that category because you are still practicing law. but uh, uh, But it's not just those folks. You've got the non-lawyers who have a technology background. Who, um, who who have fallen into that. You've got the folks who are working in litigation support departments and legal technology departments of big law firms who have no law background, but maybe have good project management background, good technology background, uh, and they're able to, uh, to, to, to fit into the law firm uh, area. There's lots of folks that we know, lots of experts in legal technology who don't have a legal background. And, uh, you know, folks like Debbie Foster, Adriana Linares um, are both folks that that are very strong in legal technology but aren't practicing lawyers. But I don't know. Do you think And I'll, I'll come back real quick with my my answer to this question? Do you think that uh, that being a lawyer is a necessary requirement for being a legal technologist? And I, I'll give my answer before I let you give yours. And, and, and my answer is. I don't. I obviously think it's not necessary to be a legal technologist, but I think it helps a lot. I think that the ability to understand how lawyers need to use technology and the and and the, the way that uh, they need to to. To approach it and the way that they think about it uh, helps inform you a lot uh, on on advising them on the types of technology to use. Obviously, not a prerequisite, but I do think that I have some advantage in talking to lawyers um, over non-lawyers. I don't want to to. to 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 set a, a, a bright line here because I think clearly there are lots of folks who, who are non-lawyers who are great uh, in talking to lawyers about it. I think that it is that, – that legal technologists who have a law background do sometimes have an advantage over others. Did I just step and put my foot in it, Dennis?
1: No, I, I don't think so, Tom. I mean I, I agree with you and I, – I, You've got me thinking about the notion that I think the legal technologist idea came about as uh, sort of legal technology generalists, and you and I are sort of classic example of legal technology generalists. Uh, we've done fifty-seven podcasts on different topics, I, you know, so that gives us that uh, we're sort of eclectic in a way. But we can talk about most of the legal technology topics. But we're we're generalists. There, we have certain areas of of expertise um but when we're not necessarily going to you have an exception you know based on on the work that you do obviously in records management e discovery that sort of thing but we're typically not going to consult on things we're not going to install networks we're not going to be a specialist on different types of programs you know that sort of thing and so i i see that that Changing things, so you see um, a world where people can come in and specialize and you can become, say, a you know a, a Windows networking expert with a lot of law firms as your clients, and become I'm, come into legal technology that way. But I I think it's I don't know that you have to be a practicing lawyer. I think being a practicing lawyer helps, uh, especially with credibility, and you know because all lawyers think their practice is unique and there are nuances that non lawyers don't don't really get. And I often go back to the example of a a short period of a couple years where People wanted to have me talk uh, about electronic discovery and never having litigated, never having done any uh, electronic discovery, that was always bizarre to me. But what people told me and people I respected was that I had a knack for describing what was going on in the e-discovery process, what the issues were, and putting them in terms that lawyers could understand and seeing it from the lawyer's perspective. And I think that 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 is the piece of... Uh, being a legal technologist as a lawyer—that's a—that's a big help. I think sometimes being a, a lawyer as the background can be a hindrance because it limits, uh, you know, maybe the technology you're familiar with to what you've used in the past, those sorts of things. But people have done some interesting things, and I, you know, the uh, if you look at Craig Ball as an example, who's a practicing lawyer who then um, focused on a specialty skill set, computer forensics, and then e-discovery to leverage it into being a uh, clearly, one of the the leading legal technologists. That's that's a, another a, approach. So you do see a, a number of uh, of different ways that people do it. So I don't I don't think you have to be a
2: lawyer, but I think it you do need to understand how lawyers work and and think. I I agree. So let me throw a question back at you and say, what do, let's say that we've got some lawyers who are listening to this, or maybe some law students who are listening to this, um, or maybe non-lawyers who are listening to it. What is uh, your advice for getting involved or getting started if they're interested in being a legal technologist or just being in the field of legal technology in general?
1: You know, I've, I've talked a fair amount with law students about, about this subject, because the job market is so bleak for law students mm-hmm. to become yeah. lawyers. And I I say if you have a – and I think you really do have to have a a real passion for technology and just really enjoy technology. But probably these days, even if you don't, uh, in the e-discovery world, there's there's enough of a need that you can kind of get in there. But I do think you need to say I want to step back and think about do I – how important is it to me having a law degree, having a legal license to actually practice law – what? How much of the, how difficult will it be for me to step away from that and say I want to go more into the technology field, and then to identify the things that you really like and are good at and where there's there's market for, and to say how can I build up my skills? I mean, I, I mean I look at Craig Ball as an example, at other people who've got into this. I mean the the amount of time and effort that they've put into bec- developing some expertise and learning about things. The people who are good about e discovery. I mean they. Track people down, they read everything they can, they they learn certain things, uh, you know, as much as possible um, to kind of figure out what's out there. So I think you have to go into it with that same kind of commitment that you would to saying, I want to be a, a really excellent lawyer.
2: No, I, I, I agree with that. I think that... Um I, and I, one thing that I will disagree with you on, though, is about knowledge of technology and especially when we think about e-discovery. I And I, my answer would have been different a, uh, a while ago, and I think that it's moderated over the past year or so uh, as far as e-discovery is concerned. I think that… To be successful in e-discovery, you have to have a pretty decent knowledge of technology, and and the reason I say that is I'm I, I think that I do very well in in talking to clients about the general process and and the people involved and the way that the electronic discovery reference model um, works and how it should work within corporations or when law firms are handling e-discovery. But when they start asking questions about, well, how do I make that work in my company? What kind of technology do I need? And how does it all fit together? I think that's when you really need to understand the different technologies that are out there, what their limitations are, what their capacities are, how they work in general. I think that it also makes a lot of sense to um I mean if you're gonna be a, a, a an e discovery person inside a uh, a corporation you need to understand the technology that's going on within your own company uh, within your own law firm so that uh, you know where the data is stored so I think that I think that having a at least a reasonably strong technology background. I don't have that kind of technology background. I think that I'm f- fairly good on technology, but I still have to defer to the 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 IT folks that work with my company when we get into the more critical issues. But I really think that that a technology background um, is is useful and probably more useful than than for other fields when we're talking in e discovery right now as far as as far as getting started uh, in, in that, uh, I think find people and get to know the legal technologists go to LinkedIn and join a group. There are many many legal technology groups that are on there, and there are a lot of people to uh, to, to meet and learn about and see what they do and then I think the other thing you need to understand is um, is to understand what market you want to serve, because I think that if you're going to work as a, in legal technology, it's important to understand whether you're going to work with large firms, whether you're going to work with solo and small firms, whether you might work with corporations, uh, because the considerations are all different. If you're going to work with a big firm, you'll probably be dealing a lot with litigation support. You might be helping with application development. Um, it'll be a slightly different uh, fr- uh, angle that you would be taking as opposed to working with solo and small firms where you might actually be helping to build a firm's legal technology from the ground up, whether it's case management software or practice management or, or devising a paperless office. But it can be much more um, involved, I think, in the solo and small firm than it might be. You might be doing something a little bit more granular uh, in, within a large firm. So make a decision, figure out what it is that interests you, whether you want to uh, uh, be a more of an advisor and a generalist, or whether you want to get into some specific areas of interest. Uh, And then, like I said, do some networking and and find people who are like you and doing the same things as you. Dennis, to carry us out of this segment, you want to give us your tips for getting started and then kind of wrap it up?
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is about credibility and, uh, you know, how do you develop credibility, um, especially in a In the in the legal profession, people are suspicious. I think there you will find people will find a barrier almost immediately. that a a lot of there are lawyers. Some of them are very public about this, very outspoken, who say that if if you're a lawyer who's now doing technology, you are a failed lawyer, and people shouldn't trust you to do anything else. And it's just it's just part of the psychology of lawyers. And you you need to kind of understand that. So you're saying, how do I develop credibility? How do I get experience? Um, can I come up with a business model that makes sense? Um, what's work for other people? What are the, the niche areas? What can I do that's local? You'll be surprised how often, even if you're, uh, even the people who do sort of web, you know, web design for lawyers will still find that uh, people still want a local designer. And, and so you, you need to kind of understand what's out there because, you know, it's, Working with technology is is kind of a it's fun. It's you know it, you can really create this fantasy for yourself to say wow this is going to be a, something great that I can do and it can be difficult to create that business model that works or to you know to 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 gain an audience. For me, it's like I, it's for me. I just like writing about it, speaking about it, and so it's just been a it's really fit well with what I've wanted to do. So it's really I've really managed to match my interest, and I would say. The, the, the last thing I was suggest though and I think Tom, you talk about this is that um I don't think there can be that many generalists anymore i I think you and I as we do the podcast, it's harder and harder to yeah. say uh, sure. you know. I know enough technology in all these different areas to, to, to be able to, to talk about it, uh, let alone to say you can work in it. So I, I think you do want to start to focus on whether it's applications, whether it's practice areas, where it's e-discovery, um, those things. But I really think the law students really have to say, if, if I have some interest in technology, I have some technology experience, how can I leverage that in, into something that may pay quite well as the lit support area will? Um, in this difficult market, rather than to, to um, you know, to try to get a job as a lawyer, and that can be a psychologically uh, difficult thing to do. But um, you meet great people. Very, this is the most helpful area of of the legal profession I've ever found. And <laughs> yes. and you know, it's and so there's there's fun, and I encourage people. But you know, you just have to be realistic.
2: Well, and we definitely encourage any listeners who are more interested in, uh, in the field to contact us. We're always happy to talk to, uh, to anybody about what we do and what we like to do.
1: Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and CLIO, online practice management for attorneys at goclio.com.
2: hi my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk network and I'm joined by Jack Newton president of
0: Clio Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud now how long does it take to move to the cloud and is it a difficult process no I with most
1: cloud computing providers moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes not hours or days to do you can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes and uh, even if you have an existing uh, a legacy That's
2: GOCLIO.com. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile
1: Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We always encourage questions from our audience, and we have one today. Here it is. I'm seeing a lot of talk on blogs lately about Google's new Plus One feature. What is Plus One, and should I care about it, or is it another one of those Google beta? versions that will go away.
2: <laughs> Tom. Well, you know, until we saw the question, I didn't care much about it. I'm I'm still not sure that I care a lot about it, but I'm I'm intrigued to a certain extent. It's to me it's it's a uh, a new experiment that Google has introduced that I think has the potential to be interesting, but uh, I think that it might be something you can pass up if it's not something you're interested in. I think that the plus one button is very similar to the like button on Facebook. If you're used to to giving your stamp of approval to sites or to status updates or to links that you like, then you will be very familiar with the plus one button. Uh, you have to enable it first. You have to go into uh, just go just. If you go to the Google search engine and, and and search for Google Plus One, it'll bring you to a page where you can enable it within your Google account. You have to be signed into Google, and then uh, it's, a, it's an experiment within their labs, and you can only sign up for one experiment at a time, and, and so you have to sign up for uh, the Plus One. And once you enable it, then head back to the Google search engine, and when you type a, a search query, when you get results, you will notice that there is a plus one button next to each uh, each search result. So if you like it, uh, if you like that particular link, if you recommend it, then click the plus one. And that is your, uh, like I said, stamp of approval saying that you like this site, you trust it. Uh, and you think others should use it. Now the value I see of the plus one button is uh, that now when your friends who are connected to you through your Google profile search and search on the same types of things, they will see recommendations from you, and maybe from others who are also using Plus One, about the sites that are most important. I don't know yet, and I haven't read whether those Plus One results will will flow up to the top of the results, because they do come from your friends, but I think that's an interesting idea. Uh, I, it, it I think to me is a new step in what we've been calling social search uh, the ability to see what your friends find valuable and to uh, to to look at the uh, the links and the sites that they trust and that they're using if you keep your Google profile and we've recommended on this podcast many times before that you that you keep a Google profile activated you can go to someone's Google profile and see all their plus ones you can see everything that uh, they like all on one page together. I also um, think that it's an interesting idea that that websites are going to be able to add the plus one button to their site and show how many folks like them, and uh, that's I think going to be another interesting way to uh, to to. To generate uh, traffic to websites that people trust and know it's just I think another way for Google to develop search based upon trust which has really been its model all the way around Dennis what are you thinking about this new feature from Google
1: you know there's a part of me that says uh, you know you can talk all you want about social search but there's still nothing better than me just instant messaging you to see if you <laughs> have a have a good website for something I'm, I'm looking for but but it's sort of like that value of if I amass a a lot of things. And we use like the, the shared Google reader uh, items and things like that where I, I say, well, if I can sort of see some of the things that other people that I know and respect are reading, that's potentially useful to me. And so maybe the quantity of the likes and the plus ones over time help us screen and get better results for, for what we're what we're looking for. The jury's sort of out on that. I never know with Google anymore. Um, you know, whether these things are going to be around in six months or not. But so I like the, it's it's interesting though, Tom, because you focused on the one aspect of actually rating the sites yourself and sort of contributing to Google search results, where my initial reaction was, oh, wow, this is just like a really simple bit of code I can add to my blog and to my blog post, and I will put a button there so people can, can click a plus one on it and, and sort of like what I'm doing. So there are there are sort of different ways to look at it, and it just seems so ridiculously easy to do, say on your blog or your webpage, that it's hard to say, well, I I won't try it because even if six months it goes away, I'm not really sure that, that I've really lost anything by letting people, you know, plus one, some of my blog posts that they like.
2: Well, and, you know, I, I, I'm not sure whether I'm going to use this simply because I don't use the like button that often in Facebook. I, if, if, if my behavior is any judge of whether I'm going to be using this, I would say I'm not going to use it that much because even when I look at, at posts from my friends that I like on Facebook, I, I typically won't hit that like button. And, and generally taking the time out to do something like that on Google is not something I do. I, I do a search and I look for the information and... Uh, and, and and I move on because I don't really have the time to sit it and go, oh, wow, I really like that site, plus one, and go, go back and click the search results. So it's going to be, I think, an interesting experiment. I'll be interested to see in a couple of months whether it was a a, a great idea or a bust of an idea from Google. Before we go on to our parting shots, let's have a word from Firm Manager from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions. Try it out free at myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Thanks for
1: tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand-new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS-70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit
0: www.myfirmmanager.com. If you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast, Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com.
1: And now it is time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away.
2: For my parting shot, I want to follow our conversation about social search and talk about social email. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, one of my favorite tools, Zobni, X-O-B-N-I, or Inbox Backwards, uh, announced that they had come out with a beta tool add-on for Gmail, which is what I use for my personal email, I've been using the Outlook uh, software and free software, I might add, for many, many years and, and really like that tool. And I really like that I now have it in Gmail. It allows you, you click on an email from a person and you can instantly see in a, in a pane to the right or to the left, however you configure it, uh, all the emails that you've sent or sent to or received from that person, you click on another tab and it will show you the uh, uh, the social networks that person belongs to and their recent posts on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn and it, uh, it's a great way to keep up and understand who you're emailing, how much you're emailing uh, to them uh, you, uh, it, it keeps statistics on how many emails are going back and forth it gives a graph of, of when you have communication so it shows a, a very in an interesting way how, to, how you're communicating with people I uh, used Zobni with Outlook for a long time, both good tools and, and, and it's such a big space that uh, Gmail is now coming into the uh, area and has announced that they're going to be developing an add-on very similar to Zobni. And there's another add-on for Gmail called Reportive, R-A-P-P-O-R-T-I-V-E, Reportive, that does the same thing. And, and look for Gmail's tool to come out in the next couple of months. They're interested in doing that too. So a, a great way, if you use Gmail, uh, to keep up with your social network. Dennis.
1: Well, Tom, as you know, I just love really simple technologies that really help you out. And one of the great things about being in the world of legal technologists is you get these great technology tips. And so I just came back from vacation at Beach House in in Florida, and I was reminded of one of my favorite I'd love to call it a technology tip, although some might disagree, that I got from uh, Ernest Fenson, the, also known as the blogger, Ernie the Attorney. And so I think it was a tech show one year Tom time. Ernie was telling us how he used the sleep mask whenever he went to a hotel because there were all these LEDs and other lights in your rooms from smoke alarms and stuff like that. So we... All thought back to I Love Lucy episodes in these sixty six sitcoms with people wearing these big sleep masks to, to, to sleep just over their eyes. Um, sometimes they call them eye shades, I guess, as well. And we all laughed at Ernie. Um, and, until I went back to my hotel room and I saw there were like blue LEDs red LEDs green LEDs orange LEDs lights coming through the shades it was unbelievable and so more and more <laughs> in your house and otherwise with all this technology it does look like an, an airfield in sometimes in the rooms that you're in I, I, I would just for the fun of it the last hotel room I was in I counted uh, I think it was 15 different lights that were on uh, in the room just the little LED lights and so the using these eye shades just makes a a, a huge difference in, in in your ability to sleep. And so, being at a a beach house with lots of open, you know, windows and shades that didn't really quite cover everything, you were gonna wake up to a bright sun very early every morning. So, having the uh, the you know the sleep mask just makes a world of difference. If you travel a lot or you have a lot of technology in your bedroom,
2: um, it's a great way to help you sleep. I must admit, I use a sleep mask, too, and I don't use it all the time, but when I do, I, I really like it. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile.
1: And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. And remember, you don't have to be a legal technologist to subscribe to this podcast in
0: iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies. Smart ways to work together from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report only on the Legal Talk Network.